there's no reimbursement mechanism for a doctor keeping people healthy and talking to them about things they can do to prevent illness. Um, because doctors are reimbursed by procedure, right? Pills and procedures. That's what they get money for. That's what sends their kids through college, not how healthy their patients were. That's the great Dr. Michael Greger. And uh, this is the Rich Roll Podcast. Thanks for dropping by. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey, you guys, my name is Rich Roll. Welcome to my show, the show where I do my best. I try, I really do try to have the most meaningful conversations I can possibly have about things that matter with the best and the brightest, the most forward-thinking minds across all categories of health, wellness, fitness, entrepreneurship, environmentalism, mindfulness, spirituality, and consciousness. And in the case of today's guest, health, nutrition, and medicine. The name of the game to help all of us unlock and unleash our best, most authentic selves, and uh, along the way, hopefully create a positive footprint for a better world. Anyway, thanks for tuning in today. I appreciate you subscribing to the show on iTunes, for taking a moment to leave us a review there as well, and of course, for always using the Amazon banner ad for all your Amazon purchases. The holiday season, it is now upon us. You might find yourself on Amazon trying to pick up a gift for somebody. Well, it would mean a lot to us if you could first take that extra microsecond, click through our banner ad. doesn't cost you a cent extra on any of your purchases. It just shakes loose a little bit of loose Amazon commission change from their voluminous coffers up there at Amazon HQ, and uh, that really helps us keep the bandwidth flowing. So I really appreciate everybody who has made a habit of that. Okay, so a lot of anticipation about today's guests. I'm really excited. Uh, he is truly one of my favorite people, the wizard behind nutritionfacts.org, which is my favorite online destination for all things nutrition, health, and disease prevention. My good friend, the one and only Dr. Michael Greger himself. And I got a bunch more I want to say about him before we get into the interview. But first, shall we take care of a little business? I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries, all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. All right, lots of excitement and anticipation about today's guest, one of my very, very favorite people. A graduate of Cornell and Tufts University School of Medicine, Dr. Michael Greger is a physician, He's an author and an internationally recognized professional speaker on a wide array of important public health issues. When he's not traveling relentlessly to lecture, this guy's on the road constantly. By day, he serves as director of public health and animal agriculture at the U.S. Humane Society. By night, because he doesn't sleep, he scours the world's best, most objective, and ironclad nutrition research to bring you free videos and articles every single day, a new video every single day. Amazing. On his incredibly informative nonprofit website called nutritionfacts.org. If you have not been to this site, 
I suggest that you hit pause immediately and go check it out right now. It's always my first stop when I want to get to the bottom of any question I have about food, diet, health, or disease, and I cannot overstate just what an incredible resource it is, a robust, unbelievably comprehensive clearinghouse, essentially, on every imaginable facet of nutrition and health. Each of his hundreds of short videos are impeccably researched, easily understandable, and maybe most importantly, straight to the point. Uh, Dr. Greger has published in many scientific journals. He's testified before Congress, lectured at countless symposiums and institutions everywhere from the Conference on World Affairs to the National Institutes of Health. He was an expert witness in the infamous Oprah Winfrey meat defamation lawsuit, and he's appeared all over TV on shows like Dr. Oz and even the Colbert Report, which we <laughs> discuss in the podcast. Most exciting is that he has a new book coming out this week, December 8th. It's called How to Not Die. Wait a minute. No, that's not right. It's called How Not to Die. I always do that. I'm always screwing this up. How Not to Die. Discover the food scientifically proven to prevent and reverse disease. I was lucky enough to get an advanced copy of the book. And I think it's fair to say that it is like a game changer. It's an absolute beast of a book that examines the top 15 causes of premature death in America and explains in great detail how nutritional and lifestyle interventions can help prevent and often reverse them. I cannot recommend the book more highly. It is an absolute must read. And because he's super cool, all his speaking fees and proceeds that he receives from the sale of his books and DVDs are donated to charity. That is unbelievable. This is the kind of service-oriented, amazing person that he is. So it's just another good reason to not only pick up the book, but feel good about your purchase. Uh, if you're a longtime listener to the show, then you know that Dr. Greger was one of my very first guests on the RRP all the way back at episode seven, when I had no idea what I was doing, not that I do now. Uh, and I'm delighted that now he's back to talk a little bit more about his life, his research, and how not to die. How not to die. Yeah, that's right. How not to die, uh, which is a subject I think uh, we can all get behind. You ready to rock? Let's rock it. By the way, I've yeah. done zero preparation, so uh, you're going to take the lead here. Anything you want. <laughs> you know I can But talk. here's one thing. Yeah. I promise you that this time I'm not going to lose the recording. Do you remember that? I do remember that. It, I, I terrible. It was, it was a good. I think it, it was, was good. It went really well. I, have, I, I know. I have no idea what we said, but I can't remember exactly what happened. Somewhere the digital audio file got corrupted, or I broke the record. Something. Oh, I think I was recording directly into GarageBand, and it uh -huh. like crashed on me. I, I don't know what happened, but uh -huh. my sincere apologies. Yeah, it's okay. This time <laughs> gotta, it's getting better. I got a sermon just for me on that one. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, man, you were one of the, the OG, man, the original guest. I think it was episode seven. That's awesome. By Skype. But this time we're going to really make some magic. Yeah, wow. And now we have go. real microphones, man. I know. It's exciting, right? So, um, so many things to talk about. But my first question for you is this. How to not die or how, to, or how not to die? <laughs> Tell me about. There yes. must have been some behind-the-scenes conversations about that, right? <laughs> yes, You're breaking need, out like quick English need, language. Yes, get some grammar nerds in here, <laughs> quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. Yes, how not to die prematurely right. in pain after a long uh -huh. disabling illness. 
you know, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How but not to die. How not to die. That's not the way we want to go. And right. the good news is that we have tremendous power over our health destiny. Who knew, man? I know. And so the power is in our hands. It's crazy. Yeah. So I got an advanced copy of this book, and it's like, it's a book, man. What is it, it's like 550 pages? 600. Yeah, 600. about 600. About 150, though, is just 150 pages yeah. of note of citations. Yeah, yeah. You know, they actually wanted to put it online. Like, they wanted to dump the citations on just to save cost printing the book. Right, right. I was like, no way, man. Yeah, we it's got to go in there. Damn it. Because you got to yeah, be yeah. able to prove it up. Yeah. I mean, that's what it's for. Yeah, I'm hoping it'll be, I mean, kind of the reference book. It's, it's kind of like two books in one. The first half, right? It, it's really just... And everything I've done on the website, you know, mm -hmm. the thousand videos condensed into just kind of all the most compelling stuff. Uh, and then, you know, uh, chapter by chapter, 15 leading cause of death. But then right. the second half um, is really what I'm most proud of because, I mean, not that anyone wants to sit through a, 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 a Gregor marathon of a thousand videos, but... I don't know. I think there's a lot of people um, out there that just might do that. But... Uh, I mean, that's what I thought. I went into it thinking that that's what the book would be. It would just be like another format mm -hmm. to to put the same message out of the same material, but it'll just be in book form. Mm -hmm. um, but then I realized, you know, one thing I can't do on the site is, I mean, I'm, I really try to keep my opinion out of it. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's not always easy and it slips through. But it's like, this is the science, right? Here it is. You can make up your own mind just as much as I do. People ask me all these questions. I'm like, well, look, I mean, you know, okay, well, then what should I do? Okay, you just said that, you know, eating, you know, a half teaspoon of turmeric does this. Okay, so what do I do? And I'm like, well, you just saw the science. I just laid right. out the science. I don't know any more than you did. Like, here uh -huh. it is. But you're the answer guy. You're supposed well, to know all, like, all. Well, so, but see, I don't, want, I don't want it to be uh -huh. the Dr. Greger diet, right? I want it to be the best available balance of evidence diet. Right? Was, I mean, there, was, there, was there a pressure from the publisher to make it the Gregor diet? This no, has to be a diet book. It has to say the, diet they wanted in the title. Resi recipe fluff, that kind of uh -huh. stuff. That I really pushed back on. But what the book allowed me to do is be like, all right, well, what do I do kind of in my own life? How do I synthesize all this information for my own kind of day-to-day -day mm -hmm. practice? Um, and so that's the, that's the kind of free reign I had and it would change kind of week by week. I go to the library, I'd come home, my family would be like, why does everything have parsley in it all of a sudden? Right. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, well, what can we eat this week? Right. You know, that kind of, you know, here comes the bummer. Man. Oh no. What did he <laughs> read about this? Um, but, uh. But slowly but surely, I'd be like, oh, wait, all right, we got to get onions in our diet somehow. You know, mm -hmm. we got to get this in our diet. And so I started kind of this checklist of like, oh, did I eat beans? Did I eat any freaking legumes today? Oh, I can't believe it. You know, day goes by so quick. So I started making this like little whiteboard checklist, and that kind of morphed into this kind of daily dozen concept that, mm -hmm. the, the, you know, that I take on the book. And not that I have a checklist anymore, but it just it was like a helpful reminder at the beginning to be like, oh, I got to fit all this stuff in. Um, and so that's how I kind of lay it out kind of for kind of helpful meal planning. And right. Stuff. I mean, it's so dense. I mean, it really is a Bible and a reference manual. Mm. It's sort of like the be all end all ultimate authority. If you're interested in plant based at all or not or just not wanting to die, right? <laughs> you can like crack this thing open and you don't necessarily have to read it end to end, but you right, can right. find what applies to you or what you're interested right. in. And it's very dense in its science, you know, so I think mm. it's easy. It would be easy without that 
second section to just get lost in the science mm. and then go, well, I don't know what to do. Like, you right. know, tell me, tell me what the protocol is right. to just avoid these things and make it simple. Right. So it ends up, okay, whole food, plant-based. But what does that mean? Like, what do I mean by whole mm -hmm. food? What do I mean by process? What, what, about, do what is plant-based, right? Well, so process for me is nothing bad added, nothing good, take it away. Right, so there are some quote unquote processed foods that I don't consider processed under that definition. Mm -hmm. um, was, so, like for example, uh, cocoa powder, right? Mm -hmm. That's processed. Did you see cocoa powder growing on any trees? No. Right. But in that case, they actually removed uh, the cocoa butter, the fat, the the co which is the you know which is saturated, can raise your uh, raise your cholesterol a bit. Um, and so there, they actually improved on the food, right? Mm -hmm. So they took this natural, one of the few kind of rare tropical fats with a lot of saturated, you know, so that's uh, palm oil, palm kernel oil, coconut oil, and, mm -hmm. and cocoa butter. Um, and so they actually took something out. So I, so I, so it, that doesn't fit under the processed definition, even though of course it's highly processed. Uh, but because nothing bad was added, nothing good was taken away. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So let's break it down. I mean, this basically the premise or the kind of spine of this whole thing is taking a look at the 15 leading causes of death, right? Right. Do you have them memorized? Well, so, I mean, what I – this is actually different. So I, I – my – how this came out was from my original uprooting leading causes of death um, kind of annual review back mm -hmm. in oh, years ago. Where I put it together, where I list the top 15. But, like, you know, killer number two was cancer, like all cancer. And so you have to give a real broad overview. But here, what I did is I split it all up. And so there is a chapter on breast cancer, a chapter on prostate cancer, a chapter, then specifically liver cancer, specifically esophageal cancer, digestive cancers. And so there's like a chapter on each because it's, you know, there are, right. there are kind of important differences, things you can really target. So that's how I was able to kind of splay it out. Mm -hmm. So it still actually goes one through 15, but it's just kind of a little more in-depth, a little more, you know, because all of a sudden I had time. You know, uh, in the videos, like I tried to hit the four-minute mark, right? Videos under four minutes. Because right. um, that's about the, the kind of time span that, I don't know, that people are on my side, actually. I mean, you know, it's about four minutes, you lose them. Right. Um, and so, you know, what can you do in four minutes, right? You can hit all the major... You know the the most a, interesting If you put points. a couple cats in there, you ah! might be able to squeeze another minute out of there them. There we go. Right? See? <laughs> right? That's what I got to do. Right? Um, so, but here I was like, wow, I can go deep, right? And so I actually ended up doing a lot more research that, you know, actually I'm going to turn into videos kind of later on right. just because I don't want to lose this stuff. Um, but, you know, because I, you know, I wanted to really kind of do a deep dive through all these um, and so it was actually, I mean, it was, it was actually a lot of fun. I had time to do it. You had time. Um, I had time to do it. Because I feel like this could, this could easily, uh, we could go into the weeds and this could become a productivity podcast <laughs> because you're one of the most productive humans that I've ever seen. I mean, you, the level of commitment is insane. I mean, you're on the road constantly. Oh, yeah, Every conference I go to, you're there. Oh, yeah. uh, like 60 keynotes a year on average, oh, basically. Well, God, well, no. I mean, my, well, my book every tour, I'm doing 60 cities in five countries in three months. Wow. Um, Starting in December? Uh, yeah, well, it's kind of the first half of December to the holidays, but then starting hardcore in January. Mm -hmm. And then above and beyond that, a, a new video. Every You're still on one new one every single Two day? Video, uh, weekdays, a uh, new video or article. So new videos Monday, Wednesday, Friday, new articles Tuesday, Thursday. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, you have a full-time job at yeah. HSUS. Yeah, and then there's the whole full-time job thing. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, how yeah. does that work um well i mean they you know they each kind of fuel me in different ways so like you know so during the day at hsus i'm doing kind of infectious disease work you know mm -hmm. bird flu mad cow you know swine flu that kind of stuff in fact and then at night is when i then i do the chronic disease you know right. then i do the you know but how do you have time to pour through all of the the research yeah, material? Yeah, that's been a, that's tough. So now we're up to about twenty four thousand articles published every year mm -hmm. in the English language on nutrition, right? So that's like seventy articles a day. So like you fit that. It's like how I mean, even if you were up twenty four hours, you couldn't read that many. Right. So please tell me you have a team of at so, least interns. Uh, yeah. Who yeah pour no. Through no. So stuff. now we got fourteen staff now. Oh wow. So I mean, so we have a we have a big staff. Are they now. all in D.C.? Um, no. In fact, none are. The last one is actually leaving me, going to uh, to Colorado. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's the nice thing about this work. You can do it anywhere. Anywhere. In right. fact, I, I bet there's folks I don't even know where they. Well, you, you never <laughs> met them. In yeah, person? I'm looking. I'm looking at their. Skype background going, what, is it snowing up there? What's uh -huh. going on? Um, and, but, I mean, that's the wonderful thing about this kind of work. I mean, you can do it anywhere. And so, yeah, so it's, and so it's about a dozen researchers and then a couple of people just doing logistics mm -hmm. to get everything up on the site. So they pour through it. I mean, do you say, look, this is a subject that I'm interested in, or do they just pour through the research and come up with, here's 10 articles that I think are relevant to your subject matter? Well, it, mostly, no, it's more a little more directed than that. Uh, it's mostly kind of this iterative citation searching. So let's say I find a, a really awesome article. Then you go two directions. You look at every single article that ever cited that article using something called Web of uh, Science where, I mean, you want to know what did everyone else think of this article when it came out in 1977, right? Everyone's citing that article in the next mm -hmm. few decades. Maybe it was totally thrown out. Maybe it was like, you know, accused of fraud or attracted or, you know, you have no idea. And then you want to go through every article that that article cited to see if they actually put it together the way they say they put it together, right? If there actually is a foundation. And so you see that cone, one study cites 20 studies that cite 20 other studies. You go two levels down and you are in the, you know, I mean, you're just, you know. That's crazy. You're just drowning. And so that's what I do is I send people off, you know, uh, you know, uh, here's this article. Just go through all the citations and, you know, pull all the articles that they cite and just, you know, want to make sure we're on level. And, you know, too often, and this is what scares me, like I'll have the video almost like totally wrapped up. And then I'll come across an article and it changes my entire outlook. Mm. I mean, and so my conclusion is completely different. And I'm like, had I not seen that article, I, you know, it would have had a right. completely different. And that freaks me mm -hmm. out. And so that, so when I was doing this all alone, um, you know, that was a real, but so now I can be like, okay, does this article rep, really kind of represent the kind of best available, best available balance of evidence. Like, is this like an outlier? Should I be looking at this askew? Or is this really kind of representative of what's going on in science? And you can't do that by looking at one article. That's why you need a team to really Right, interesting. So that brings up a, a kind of interesting question, which is, you know, you're trying to be as objective as possible. The site is called nutritionfacts.org. Mm. Uh, it is a nonprofit organization. Uh, but clearly you are, you know, you're a long time, whole food plant-based guy. That's your perspective on the world. So how do you prevent that from, you know, coloring how you review these studies? I mean, what happens if you come across a study that contravenes, uh, you know, sort of your basic philosophy 
or if you ever do, and how do you kind of reconcile that or make sure that you really are approaching everything completely as objectively as possible? Yeah, that's critical, right? So there's this concept called confirmation bias where we naturally, it's kind of inborn in our brains, must have some kind of evolutionary advantage to kind of see the world through our particular perspective, and we seek out facts and figures and science that supports our position and then just somehow disregard either right disregard or unconsciously or consciously, un- yeah. right, right. you know, we just don't take it as seriously. Um, and, uh, and so that's a real de- – so that's like that, – that's the death knell for a scientist, right? I mean they really have to approach it with this kind of beginner's mind and come in and be totally ready to throw out everything they've always believed in if the science turns out to be different. Now, for nutritional science, I mean, there's just been this remarkable consistency for decades. I mean, the bottom line has really been the same. You know, fruits and vegetables were good for you. They continue to be good for you. Mm. They're probably, you know. Um, but, um, but certainly there are things that come up that really, like, you know, question not just the uh, mechanisms, how we thought something was happening before, but, you know, uh, you know scary. New- I was just... Uh, one of the latest things that actually changed my own kind of day-to-day diet recently was uh, they just did all this testing for lead levels in tea coming out of China. Mm. Turns out China didn't get rid of leaded gas until 2000. Mm-hmm. And so you actually see, you can actually measure the lead levels exponentially dropping off from the road, like in the tea plantations. Like you can see how much <laughs> lead, how far oh, it is God. away from the road, right? And it's actually not a problem for people that brew tea because the lead doesn't go from the leaf into the water. But I've been telling people to put it in the smoothies, right, to grind it up or use matcha uh, tea, ground, right, right. you know, green tea leaves. Because I, I figure it's like, I mean, throwing away tea leaves, that's like boiling collard greens, throwing out the collars and drinking the right. water. You'll get some nutrition, but why not eat the leaves? Like, it seemed like such a waste. So I was like, yeah, throw the tea leaves in. Right. Okay. If they're from Japan, uh-huh. right, but... But no longer. And, you know, all the cheapest tea is from China. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, that was bad advice. Of course, it wasn't bad advice until, I mean, it was good advice at the time, or so I thought. But something like that, where it's kind of a fundamental recommendation, gets changed. And then it's like, how do I get everyone who saw that original video, you know, on, right. the, on the new plan? And so I'm like, you got to subscribe because did I can totally. you pull down earlier videos where you recommended putting tea leaves in? What I did is that? I have a war- I have a like I have a, a do- what it's called the doctor's note right below the video that gives kind of context or changes or whatever. Um, and so eventually I'll get around to actually just re-recording the video or dumping it entirely. But I have a thing saying, make sure you check out this other video where I talk about the lead contamination because gotcha. it's a serious issue. And then for pregnant women, this is how much you can have of each different type of tea in each different kind of country. If you're a kid, this is how you do it. If you're drinking it, if it's black tea, if it's, you know, so I go through, I got charts, I, you know. But, I mean, it's like that kind of thing. Uh-huh. It's like you just feel this weight of responsibility. You tell one thing. Right. Because you found a really good paper on something. And then who knows, you know, if you didn't do a good thorough search, you know, you can find out the next day and you've already kind of, you know, corrupted people's, you know. Right. And and you have, I mean, one point five million subscribers. Right. People um, that are consistently watching your videos. Well, we, we at one point. Well, we have one point eight million hits a month. Uh-huh. Um, uh, but and only about half of that is old people coming back. Half about it is new right. traffic. Um, and what, how many view, views does a typical video get? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I don't know video by video. So uh-huh. I just kind of know day by day. 
Um, and so an average day. So and so average day. So uh, you know, sixty thousand uh-huh. a day, something like that. Right. Um, and uh, and you know, it's slowly going up. See, we've never spent any like money on advertising promotion. Never did ads. Never did whatever. It's all just kind of word of mouth. I just have a feeling there's so many people out there that. If they had, if they knew about the site, they'd be interested mm-hmm. in it. But they've just never, you know, they don't know. Right. Well, the book is going to change that. Uh, that's what I'm hoping. You know, I mean, I think it'll really. You're give well me, overdue for this book. Uh, that would. I mean, <laughs> right? No, no. I mean, if it if it interests some major media, it's got on some morning show or something. They really kind of take it to the next level. And the information, I just keep telling myself, look, it's there. It'll always be there. It's on the right. So eventually, when people figure it out. They'll go back and they can look at all the stuff that I've poured my you know blood, sweat, and tears into. Right, and right. And, and back to you know the process of compiling these videos mm. and going through the research and all of that. I think it 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 warrants like at least a brief discussion about how uh, nutrition science works in the research arena, in the sense that you know, look, all these studies have to be funded by somebody, right? And so, of course, you have to parse through, well, who's behind this and, you know, who stands to gain from this? And with more and more corporate dollars kind of pouring into this field, you know, how does that impact how you look at these studies and evaluate them and either discard them or, or you know, give them weight or, you know, sort of, you know, slide that, um, that scale of value? Yeah, yeah. So much of science is now follow the money. Um, and so what do you do with, you know, an egg board funded study or the, you know, Cattlemen's Beef Association? Yeah, you don't know. The problem with conflicts of interest is these financial conflicts of interest is that you don't know what to do with them because, I mean, uh, Basically, the, the, the big controversy is did they or did they not divulge their conflicts of interest, right? I mean, that's kind of the big, you know, you know oh, did they get money? Was it, did it meet a certain level? A lot of journals be like, if you can get $5,000, but if you get $5,001, all of a sudden you have to list that you got the mm-hmm. funding from social service. But that's not, for me, that's not the issue. The issue isn't Does the, science hold the up? fact that there's this money in science in the first place. I mean, the fact that there's a, the conflict of interest is there, not whether it's disclosed or not. And it's because you get a study, uh, you get a study that shows nuts is great and it's done by the Walnut Commission. And you're saying, okay, is it, I mean, did they make stuff up? Did they just design a study to give a certain point or is it totally a great study and they, they just it wouldn't have gone done and we should be thanking the walnut commission because otherwise we wouldn't know about the wonders of walnuts right um and so basically i it, it just gives you makes you think again makes you really dive into the you know materials and methods and be like okay did they put this study together in a way to get some kind of desired mm-hmm. result and how often when you look at such a study do you come to the conclusion like, oh, no, it actually – it holds up. I understand there is this conflict of interest built into it. But nonetheless, I can still see the value of this. Or is it almost invariably a situation where you're discarding it? Well, it's – you know, often rather than discarding it, I actually you know do a video about it and show exactly what they did. Like this mm. is how – you know, the the bold study, this beef study, they talk around how you can add you know, lean beef to a diet and your cholesterol gets better. And what they do? They added lean beef to a diet in which they cut out cheese and chicken so much they actually drop saturated fat below 
that adding so you added beef to the diet but you cut out so much cheese and chicken mm -hmm. that you actually have less saturated fat and the cholesterol went down surprise surprise um, i mean it's just such kind of blatant stuff that anyone even taking a second look at it would i mean it would just pop right up as like kind of just this outrageous manipulation but you know, it gets tons of press. Yeah, but, they, I mean, people don't. Know. Nobody, nobody gives it a second look, other yeah. than people like yourself. Or, uh, you know. And and certainly, you know, unless you have a really kind of, uh, you know, sort of unusual journalist who's willing to kind of do yeah. that kind of work, it ends up in the media. So there's this enmeshed kind of media relationship that translates into, you know, butter is back on the cover of Time magazine, and you know, all this sort of stuff that that occurs or just the sort of dismissal of the latest World Health Organization recommendations right. on, on red meat and, and processed meats, right, which we can talk about a little bit, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, one more, you know, one other thing with the conflicts that makes it even more difficult is that beyond the financial conflicts, there are kind of like ideological conflicts. Or So, for example, there's this amazing research on the spice saffron, right? That and all, and it's all independently funded, but there are all these Iranian scientists, and saffron is like this major export out of. I mean, that's like mm -hmm. the number one producer in the world. They have this great national pride over the stuff. Is it possible they're tweaking results? I mean, I mean, it would be nice to just get some independent, even though they're not getting money from the saffron industry, right? Or if you have all these New Zealand kiwi fruits are great studies, you're just like okay. But I would love to see a, you know, a Scottish kiwi fruit study showing how great, you know, I mean, come on. But is there such thing as an independent study? I mean, somebody's got to pay for this. Yeah, stuff, yeah. well, right? no, so how does that work? It should be publicly funded, right? I mean, so the, that's what we have the NI, National be, Institutes but, of Health for. Okay. I mean, we, you know, that this is a public good. And so we should have public funding. Otherwise, we run into all these problems. But what does that look like? I mean, how many of these studies really are publicly funded? There certainly can't be adequate amount of funding to really do the extent of nutritional research that I would imagine you would. And that's would right. And, no, and that's why we. And that's why we have these problems. I mean, so you know, there's you know, you get some uh, you know, the, there's these you know, great folks out there like uh, David Katz at Yale, mm -hmm. who's accepted egg board money to run these egg studies. And, you know, you talk to him about it, and he's like, where do you get money? Like, if you don't accept money from, you know, corporations these days, how are you going to fund your – I mean, you just can't fund a research team. Where are you going to pay your grad students from? I mean, it's just like uh, – you know, I mean, it's a real issue. And so the answer – And David Katz is one of the good guys. It, absolutely. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> Tremendous respect uh -huh. for him, right? But it's like you got to deal with reality. you got to deal with, the, you know, the the – you know, and so it's not all nice for us to say, oh, we should be all independent. But it's like, okay, well, you got to get the money from somewhere. It's interesting. Some of these studies were like literally out of scientists' own pocket. Like they thought they had this really <clears throat> great idea. They wanted to, you know, see if it worked. And so they did it themselves, mm -hmm. you know. But with no corporate budget driving its promotion, it just gets buried in some dusty stacks of some, you know, library basement and never sees the light of day. And so I saw it as my kind of role in the world is to take all that amazing science that was done, even if it gets past the funding stage, but then just got lost to the world. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, for the same reason you don't see ads on TV for sweet potatoes, there's just no kind of profit motive to get it out to the world. Right. Yeah. So so what's your reaction when you see something in the media that you feel is uh, you know not an accurate representation of what's going on? Like right now, you know, let's just talk about 
the low carb craze. Mm. Everybody's all about low carb. Uh-huh. Ketosis is the greatest thing ever. You uh-huh. know, like all this sort of stuff, right? Uh-huh. And that's very, very popular right uh-huh. now. And there's a lot of people who are espousing the benefits of this, not just for weight loss, but for health. And, you know, to the extent that it makes it on the cover of Time magazine. Amen. Saturated fat. Yeah. Is your new best you know, friend, I mean, all so, this sort of yeah. Thing. I try to stay as much away as much possible from the lay um, media just because. But your, your right, job, I mean, you're a I voice know, piece for the lay person, right? Oh, it's almost your mantle to translate this stuff. Right. right. And no, so sometimes I, I'm kind of forced into it. Um, so like the saturated fat stuff. It's just like I always am hoping someone else will take it on because I just want to, you know, cover the, cover the science and not kind of go back and fight back against, you know. Uh, but – you know, I wait, I wait. No one's going to do it. Okay, fine, I'll do it, right? Like, no one did a really good thing against Atkins, so finally I, you know, wrote the book on Atkins. And then, you know, um, and so, I mean, I, I usually get kind of dragged into it later on, um, hoping that someone will else will kind of take the mantle and do that kind of piece and let me just stick to the science and, you know... Uh, mm-hmm. Rather than kind of, because otherwise you just get caught in these. You get caught, kind of yeah. It's like a vicious cycle right, right. of he said, she said, right, kind right, of right, thing, right. right. The um, but the you know the 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 WHO story about processed meat that was a real breakthrough. Yeah, and it made a lot of media, it and did. there was a lot of internet chatter, of course, back yeah, and yeah. forth. But I think you know it's really making people question you know their their dietary choices when it comes to that stuff. You know what's interesting though, which seems to be kind of burying the lead here, but. You know, so processed meat, so you, know, you read a, a good, you know, kind of in-depth story about it. They talk about this 34,000 number where they looked at the burden of disease study, which is the biggest study looking at risk factors and death and mortality in the world, funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the World Bank. This is the study to find out how many people soda kills, how many people processed meat kills, how many lives you could save if people ate whole grains or fruits or more vegetables. I mean, this was the study that put it all together and found that 34,000 cancer deaths a year linked to um, uh, to processed meat consumption. But that same study that's been quoted in all these things found that 840,000 people overall die from processed meat because it contributes to high blood pressure, kidney disease, all these other things. And so, okay, there's that, you know, but what about the other 800,000? There's wow. like a meat-borne epidemic every year of people dying from processed meat. I, maybe cancer, so cancer was scary. almost like the footnote it, to, to a, a to bigger the, to the massive amount right. of right. I mean, in fact, I mean, there's these studies, you know, you know, estimating that you know if uh, you know if if everyone who ate processed meat cut down their processed meat consumption like a half strip of bacon a day from whatever they're eating before, like how much we could, how many lives we could save on a population level, like a certain percentage of mortality overall for the entire population could be prevented. I mean, those are just amazing stats. Mm-hmm. Um, and Right, because all the attention surprising. was on cancer, and it was like if you broke down the numbers and the percentages, it still really would only impact like a relatively few number of people. Right, no, right. So, raising, right. so raising your you know, risk of colon cancer a few percent, I mean, you know, and so colon cancer is now the third leading cancer uh, killer. What about heart disease? What about, I mean, there's so, I don't, I mean, the, the risk associated with these products, but that's maybe part of the kind of the reductionism where, you know, we used to talk about individual nutrients. Now we're talking about mm-hmm. individual foods as they pertain to particular diseases. But, 
I mean, you have to look at the impact. I mean, so like the good impact of, you know, this one, you know, broccoli, not only, you know, when I talk about, you know, I have the little broccoli chapter then and say, as I mentioned, in chapters one, three, five, seven, you know, and uh, liver cancer and the stroke and the, just like whole plant foods can benefit multiple body systems. You can see some of these foods that are adversely impacted can adversely impact the entire organism. Right. And so you really need to look at it overall. And so when someone says, so let's say there was a study that came out that said, you know, bacon was good for preventing cataracts or something. They would never do that because it's an <laughs> oxidation thing. But it's like, even if it was good, here's this body of evidence showing bacon does all these other horrible things to your right. body. So it's like, you still wouldn't eat it. You know, it's like, some people say to me, well, aren't you cherry picking? Here, I have a study that's like independent that shows that, you know, the opposite of what you said. And you know, that, that's, that was actually a tobacco industry tactic. They, they criticized the American Lung Association. They actually have a stack of 100 papers showing that smoking is good for you, not neutral, not, not bad, but actually good for you. And mm -hmm. they criticized the American Lung Association for never mentioning this body of evidence showing how good smoking is for you. For example, smoking protects against ulcerative colitis. Smoking protects against Parkinson's disease. Very strong protection against Parkinson's disease. All right? Okay. Now, and why don't they ever mention it? It's like this anti-smoking conspiracy. It's like, they, why don't they... Right? And so... Okay, fine. Tobacco protects against Parkinson's. But even if you just forget lung cancer, forget if you just cared about your brain, you still wouldn't smoke because it so increases your stroke risk. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, so like, so you, you understand how the American Lung Association is sticking with the overall balance of evidence and trying to represent what the body of evidence shows. The body of evidence shows that smoking is bad, and so that's why. The, the studies that they promote and have on their website reflect what's in the overall body of evidence. I mean, and people just seem to, you know, miss that point. Right. Well, it's you have to reconcile the scientific method, which by its very nature is reductionist, right? And your videos, you know, they're they're reductionist in following that scientific method and looking at specific things and their sort of direct impact on other things, right? But how do you reconcile that with stepping outside of that reductionist method and understanding that, you know, we need a more holistic approach that, you know, broccoli does many things. It doesn't just do one thing and trying to kind of convey that message and get that across. Right. It's almost like these two worlds are at odds with each other. You need the reductionist science in order to discover how these mechanisms operate, but you also have to keep in mind this holistic approach. Yeah, so that's why that you'll see the kind of the whole scope through some of my videos. You know, I talk about the one enzyme affected by, because I, you know, I just find it so fascinating. We finally figured out why, you know, uh, you know eating plant-based boosts your metabolism or something. Oh, it's this cartoon pomatorial transferase. That's so cool, and this is how it works, and you know. You're um, such a geek. Uh, but, but then, no, but then we say, okay, but let's look at the big population level. What are the populations that are free of these chronic Western diseases? What are they eating? And then you just kind of build the evidence, you know, mm -hmm. up and down. You know, when people say, like, what's the one study that I want to, like, give to my doctor or whatever? It's like, well, it's a whole body of evidence. You know, I can, you give me a disease, give me, you know, and I can say, all right, well, this is the best paper. But it's really this overwhelming body of evidence from both epidemiological studies, in vitro studies, all the way up to these randomized controlled trials. And you put the you know, body of science together, 
It's just this really powerful argument. And beyond that, you know, this this kind of this, this kind of cherry picking accusation. A lot of times, there's just one cherry. So, for example, there's only one diet ever been shown to reverse heart disease in the majority of patients. Only one plant-based diet, right? If that's all a plant-based diet could do, reverse our number one killer, uh, shouldn't that be the default diet until proven otherwise? And then the fact that they can also you know, prevent, treat, and reverse type 2 diabetes and hypertension, all these other leading killers, seem to make the case overwhelming. But it's like, it's hard to cherry-pick when there's only one cherry. There's no other diet that has mm -hmm. been shown that. So it's like, bring it on. This so do you just get, doesn't exist. Do you... Do you get frustrated when you feel like people aren't getting this? I mean, you're shouting from the mountaintops and have been for some time, along with some other people. And certainly, plant-based diet is picking up steam and it's becoming you know, much more prevalent in mainstream consciousness. But I'm not so sure we're quite there yet, right? Like when right. you read the headlines. Right, no, no, no. But, you know, but the, my faith comes from this democratization of knowledge. Right? It used to be where if you wanted to get information about health, you know, kind of the, that's what a physician did. They held this kind of monopoly. And so the drug companies, if they had the physician in their pocket, they had everything in their pocket, right? Because that was like the official mediator between you and any kind of information, right? Um, and so there was, there's science back to the 30s showing lung cancer and smoking, right? Um, landmark 1958 article, you know, the Adventist study, 90% less um, lung cancer in non-smokers. But of course, you never heard about it. Right, because it, you, it could just never get to the general public. Right, unless it's in the Washington Post or your doctor is going to tell you who's going to go to the basement of some library and start going through microfiche. And <laughs> Washington Post isn't going to run it because they're running cigarette ads. Right. Right. So, but now things have changed. Right. Now we have access. We no longer have to have this mediator you know, between us and, you know, the body of science out there. And so I find that tremendously exciting. It's profound. Never so, in the history of humankind so have we it, had this kind of access to information. So we don't have to wait for a doctor to tell us to quit smoking, right? When it comes to safe, simple, side-effect-free solutions, we can take our, you know, our own health destiny and our family's health into our own hands and improve it. We don't have to wait till society Not only do we not have to wait, we shouldn't wait. We, because, because it's the a matter of They weren't taught it in medical school death. anyway. Anyway. Absolutely. So, but so that, okay. Now, along with that, millions of voices and that democratization of knowledge, of course, there's all this garbage out there. But eventually, you have this sense that the truth will kind of float to the surface. You're I optimistic think that's about that? Because Absolutely. I feel like there's a war on the internet. Who can be loudest wins the day. And when you have a lot of resources to pepper the internet with all kinds of crazy articles, you can easily obfuscate the truth or just at a minimum confuse people. And when people are confused, then they're going to default to their, you know, their basic habits. No, absolutely. That, in fact, that, I mean, that's an explicit strategy among you know, big tobacco all the way through big food. There's this famous tobacco industry memo, Doubt is Our Product. Right? This is a PR firm hired by the tobacco industry. <clears throat> you know, we don't have to convince people smoking is good for you. All we have to do is introduce, oh, there's two sides. Yeah, some, some scientists say smoking is good, some say smoking is bad. Mm -hmm. That's all you had to do. Doubt is our product. And then people just throw their hands up in the air, do whatever the heck they want, right? Right, and I feel like, you know, sort of uh, television news or television sort of talk show, you know, uh, uh, structures are set up 
where you have all these talking heads and everybody's given equal credibility, mm. you know, sort of right, this right. seemingly democratization of ideas when in reality, somebody could be a complete expert and somebody else could be a, an, an absolute knucklehead right. and they're given kind of equal air, right? And so the consumer is left with thinking, well, there's two sides right. to something when, no, there's the truth and then there's something that's not the truth. Right. And so it's, it's all about going back to the science. What does the science show? I mean, we, none of us were born with this knowledge. So when someone says something out of their mouth, you say, okay, well, where did you find that? I mean, where did you, how did you come to that conclusion? How, I mean, where did you deduce that? And they say, oh, well, here's my body of evidence that supports this. And who has the time to go through the look right. through the – I have the time. I mean, I've made it my – you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what – you know. You're the guy. I, I've made it my mission to take this information. Look, Ornish was – Ornish proved you could reverse heart disease in a randomized controlled trial, 1990, July 1990 in The Lancet. That, everything should have changed the next day. And the fact that it didn't is a real wake-up call. It was a real make-up call for me politically. It's like, wait a second. There's more than just science going on in medicine. Right? There's more than just, there are other, there's reimbursement. There's, I mean, there's this whole kind of structure set up to kind of go at odds with these, you know, kind of... Right, there's been this weird kind of reductionist opinion about Ornish's work, and you see him sort of getting thrown under the bus in the media, like, oh, well, yeah, it didn't really have to do with diet, it had to do with the lifestyle recommendations that he (laughs) was making, and he's sort of been seemingly dismissed, when in reality, you know, he was sort of speaking the truth all along. Right, and been an absolute pioneer. And then, of course, others have taken his work like Esselstyn and said, okay, let's cut out the stress management, the touchy feeling as the exercise, everything, and just what do dietary changes show? In fact, in cases, don't even put people on statins and just see purely, can this diet reverse heart disease and saw these extraordinary results and then it's like, well, not that we shouldn't be managing our stress and exercising and everything else. But, I mean, it shows that the, you know, the proof is in the vegan pudding. Right, just to remove all the other variables. Yeah, yeah, like well, you need that, uh-huh. right? What are some of the other sort of crazy, you know, tobacco industry tactics that you've come across in some of the research unbelievable no so i mean it's really i mean it's almost those are some of the funnest you know studies because i mean you're like wow like i before i even read the study i'm like okay if i was an egg researcher and i wanted to prove this how would i do it knowing what i know right um and so you know let's how do i prove that cholesterol that uh, eggs don't raise your cholesterol right Hmm, well, there's this plateau effect where after a certain amount of cholesterol, your kind of cholesterol receptors get all clogged down and saturated such that you eat more cholesterol, your body's not going to accept anymore, right? You're kind of topped off. All right, so let's let's have people eat, you know, compare 10 eggs a day to 20 eggs a day. You compare 10 to 100, you're not going to get any more, but that's not the, I mean, but that's how you would design a study. You look at the study, that's how they design the study. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. just like, that's, you know, I mean, and sometimes, sometimes it takes you a while to figure out, you know, kind of, but those, is that I the mean, idea like behind, puzzles, I know. think I've seen on the internet, a, a lot of people saying that uh, dietary cholesterol does not raise serum cholesterol, that there's no relationship between those two. Oh, and that's, that's, uh, that's completely false. In fact, we have these meta-analyses and it was based, I mean, look, this is, I mean, this was coming from, you know, the Dietary Guidelines Committee came out and said, removing dietary cholesterol as a kind of nutrient of concern 
And they did that in part based on the AHAAC guidelines, the American Academy, the, the American Heart Association, the American Academy of Cardiology, um, who um, said in their latest review of the literature that we see no, that there's, that there's no, there's no link between the kind of dietary cholesterol and, and serum cholesterol, but that was within their parameters, which was last 20 years, because every 20 years they do a review, and so this is like, okay, nothing new. Hmm. There hasn't been any studies on dietary cholesterol and serum because it's a, it's a research question that was definitively answered decades ago. In fact, so I think they looked at the last 20 years. If you go back like 22 years and 23 years, there's two big meta-analyses of the last 30 years of data with you know, dozens of these metabolic ward studies where you take people, you lock them in a room, and so you have total control of their diet. You feed them exactly whatever you want to feed them, and you measure their blood. And what happens? And there's a, In fact, there's an equation that you, know, you give somebody this much cholesterol, and then their you know, blood cholesterol goes up. I mean, and so, but, but, so, I mean, so it's kind of this misunderstanding, misuse of the but literature. What is, what is behind that misunderstanding? Why is it that so many people are misinformed or confused by that? Is that because there's, you know, some conspiracy by big food to create that confusion? Or is it that people just like hearing, you know, good news about their bad habits? Like, I feel like the truth has such a difficult time rising to the surface. Yeah, no, I think all those really play. I mean, we, uh, you know, we, we were comforted by the fact, you know, when someone says you're, you're, what you're doing is right, you're a good person, you're, you know, not, not uh, feeding your kids something that's going to give them diabetes. Um, you know, that's a nice message to hear. And all these, you know, kind of nanny state naysayers who are trying to make you eat flavorless food or something mm -hmm. um, is, uh, you know, so don't worry about them. Eat your Fruit Loops right. and, you'll be, and you'll be healthy because they're fortified, right. you know. Um, I mean, I, I, that's, that's a message that everybody wants to hear. They don't want to hear, um, oh, uh, you know, salt's still bad for me. Really? I mean, I'd much rather hear the study, the dissenting scientist <laughs> funded by the Salt Institute that says, oh, no, eat all the salt you want kind of thing. Uh -huh. What's the most That's surprising powerful. thing that you've come across in the last couple of years through all the research that you've done? Something that really you didn't you didn't really fully appreciate or understand or kind of change your mind about? You know, the, I, the, all the microbiome stuff is just blowing my mind. Mm -hmm. right? It's crazy, so, right? Um, so, I mean, the, you know, the only about one out of 10 cells in our body is actually human, right? So 90% of us are bacteria by DNA, by, you know, cell number, um, and has tremendous power over everything from our mental status to our immune system to, I mean, when, when I... You know, when I think, when I, in medical school, we learned about fiber, right? Mm -hmm. Fiber, yeah, in the sense it was just kind of like, just like mass kind of scrubbing down the colon walls and just kind of kept things moving and had, you know. But no, fiber, you know, like it's the indigestible part of the food, right? It doesn't really do anything for you. But no, we don't digest it, but we actually do digest it. Our bacteria right. digest it. That's what our bacteria eats. Prebiotic. It is the it is the prebiotic. Do you Absolutely. know uh, Dr. Robin Shutkan huh. in DC? Uh -uh. Oh, you got to connect with her, oh, man. Cool. She is she's the bomb when it comes to the oh, microbiome. Sweet. I just had her on the podcast. She's oh, amazing. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, she's got a couple books out. Um, her latest one is called The Microbiome Solution. She's amazing. Neat, neat, yeah, neat. No, 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 and, no. and she's just 
she has a, a really amazing talent at being able to communicate what the microbiome is all about oh, to a awesome. lay person so they can understand it. But no, it's, no, yeah, I mean, it, it's mind blowing. The stuff that really gets me is the cravings part mm. about how when you change your <laughs> microbiome, it actually can impact the foods that you crave so because cool. that, that population, that ecology starts to desire that kind of food that seeded it in the first place in order to survive. It's crazy. Yeah, I was just I just did a uh, put a video up recently about something called diversion colitis, where if for some kind of surgical procedure you actually have to divert the fecal stream, like through a, you know ileostomy or something, out from the abdominal wall instead of going through the gut, you get something. And up to 100% of cases is something called this diversion colitis, where all of a sudden your colon starts dying, starts bleeding, dying. Why? Hmm. And they wonder, what is going on? Like, wh why all of a sudden did, you know, we need this fecal stream, otherwise the cell died? And it turns out that the, that the lining of the colon literally lives off, not of our blood supply, it lives off what the bacteria feed it, mm -hmm. right? By, these byproducts from fiber and other prebiotics like resistant starch. And so if we don't have the good bacteria to feed that, um, uh, and, and so, and so basically the body uses that, that signal of lack of, you know, butyrate, these wonderful byproducts of fiber as a signal that we have bad bacteria, we have a dysbiotic mm -hmm. gut and starts attacking, um, uh, the bacteria in the gut to kind of repopulate with the good guys, but we can replicate that same scenario by just not eating fiber. If we don't eat fiber, then all of a sudden the colon isn't getting, uh, the lining of the colon isn't getting nutrients and thinks there must be these dysbiotic fiber-hating bacteria because we're obviously, what else does the, our evolutionary, uh, evolutionarily does our body know but just massive quantities of fiber all day long and so thinks, oh, we must have some wacky gut, wacky gut bacteria, let's kill them all off and mm. you get all these kind of inflammatory um, and you're irritable. Yeah, I mean, that's the definition of an autoimmune disorder, right? Absolutely. Starts and, attacking. <clears throat> I mean, from a layperson's point of view, it seems to me, it feels like there is this explosion of autoimmune disorders and mm. food allergies that's happening right now. Like, suddenly, there's so many people that seem to be suffering from everything from ulcerative colitis to, you know, all these kind of digestive disorders. You know, people are allergic to all kinds of foods all of a sudden that I don't remember when I was a kid mm. being a thing. Um, is that related to the microbiome, the health of the microbiome, or what? You know, what do you think that's about? Or am I just wrong? No, no. So uh, certainly, the biggest, uh, so the best study we have uh, was involved a million children around the world that looked at so-called atopic diseases like asthma, allergies, eczema, and found indeed this dramatic rise, and it's tied most closely to um, the lack of uh, whole plant food consumption. Um, as people start dropping, moving from their traditional diets to more kind of westernized diet mm -hmm. and dropping their whole consumption, then you start seeing this increase in, you know, a physician diagnosed asthma, for example. And the question is why? And microbiome would certainly fit right into that. Um, uh, but, you know, we've yet to kind of tie those kind of ends of the chain together. Mm -hmm. But uh, that could certainly play a role. And so, look, we feed them, they feed us back. Um, and so it's a really powerful argument since, of course, the only source 
of uh, fiber is from uh, is from plant foods, and the only source of a good source of fiber is from whole plant foods. Right. Have you done any looking into the differences between organic versus non-organic, either in terms of nutritional content or density, or the impact of you know pesticides on the foods that we're eating? Sure. Yeah. So I have a series of uh, videos, both on the safety aspects and the nutrition aspects. And so for traditional nutrients like uh, vitamins and minerals, there's actually no benefit uh, from organic versus conventional across the board um, on average. However, for the kind of non-traditional nutrients like the phenolics and some of these phytonutrients, they do have significantly more in the organic versus conventional. But we're talking like 20% more and organic food maybe 20% or more expensive. So you could get the same amount per dollar mm-hmm. conventional versus um, uh, versus organic. But people aren't necessarily buying organic for the nutrients, but for the safety aspects. Mm-hmm. And indeed, what I was surprised to learn is not just the pesticides. And so certainly there's a big pesticide issue, but um, actually so the heavy metals. So for example, was it cadmium? I think the cadmium from the um, phosphate fertilizers. Um, so uh, these artificial phosphate fertilizers have just naturally have a lot of cadmium, this toxic heavy metal, along with mercury and lead. Um, and so that's why conventional produce has a lot more cadmium than uh, mm-hmm. organic produce. So we actually go through. And so um, the so uh, basically the kind of the bottom line that comes out of this is that choose organic whenever you can. But we should never let fear of pesticides, for example, uh, limit our consumption of of as many fruits and vegetables right. as we it's can possibly. Right, it's not an argument to not eat fruits Absolutely. and vegetables. Even right. if you just but had the most contaminated fruit, Chilean imported grapes and bell peppers. In glyphosate? And, 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 and it, it would still benefit your health. So in fact, uh-huh. so there was a study, there was this kind of, it was kind of a commu- uh, computer modeling study in food and chemical toxicology a few years ago um, that suggested that if just half the population ate a single more serving of fruits and vegetables a day, it would prevent every year 20,000 cancer deaths. Not 20,000 cases of cancer, but 20,000 cancer deaths if just half the population, one more are serving fruits and vegetables. Mm-hmm. But because the modeling was on conventional fruits and vegetables, that added pesticide load in the American population would cause 10 cancer death. So overall, if we did mm-hmm. this, it would just prevent 19,990 cancer deaths, right? So we get this huge benefit, but also this tiny bump in risk. But the huge benefit far outweighs the risk. But hey, why accept any risk at all when you can get all benefit, no risk by choosing organic? And so certainly I encourage people to do so, but we should be stuffing our face with as many fruits and vegetables as possible, regardless of the source. Right. So have you looked at uh, GMO at yeah. all and glyphosate? And, you know, the World Health Organization classified it as a possible carcinogen, probable. I can't remember exactly. You know, so what, that, and that's really the issue when it comes to GMOs is the excess pesticides, right? Because, uh, you know... Uh, They're pesticide-resistant, which pesticide allows them resistant. to bathe them in this pesticide. Right, so you can actually put... So normally... So, you know, conventional soybean growers, they still use the same pesticide, but they use it between crops. Obviously, you can't use it during the crop because mm-hmm. it would kill your plants. So, but between the crops... And so there's lots of pesticide in the soil, so you grow the, you grow the soybeans, and you still get a little pesticide in them. Um, versus organic, where it's not allowed to use it at all. But, right, that's, we can now dump it straight on the plants. 
And so the thought was that you'd have elevated levels. And it wasn't until recently, the last few years, where they actually were able to measure actual market levels, um, not in the fields, but actually what makes it to market, and show that compared to both conventional and organic soy, which had very little, um, that the levels of uh, glyphosate were just off the chart. Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, from in fact, so high, um, uh, you know, Monsanto pressured countries to actually raise the safety limit. So all of a sudden right. it didn't exceed the safety limit anymore, but that's only because they push it up. Right, and that gets back to the politics that are right. inherent in all of this. You see that in what's happening with uh, organic certification, too. Like, what qualifies as organic isn't what it was, you know, 10 years ago. It's been, in right. some respects, co-opted. It's easier to get that organic certification. I think it still costs a bunch of money or whatever. But um, there's more things that can be qualified as organic because there's money to be made there, right? They can yeah. charge more for it, etc. Right, yes. I mean, the billions in organics are not because they're selling lots of carrots, right? They're selling organic gummy, gummy bears and, you know, I mean... Uh, but, you know, you can understand, you know, the purists who want organic to maintain, you know, this little niche, I mean, we also want a lot of people to have access to it. Right. How do we have a lot of people have access to it? Well, you know, in, ent in this society, an entity makes a lot of money off of it, right? I mean, so, uh, so for example, you know, I have this, these, uh, this interesting series of articles about patenting turmeric. So, for example, there's actually a group that did, did actually patent turmeric, the spiced or, or Not a genetically modified no, turmeric? No, no, just like turmeric. actual turmeric because it has these, all these medicinal effects. Um, and so they were sued by this group of Indian attorneys saying, wait a second, we've been using turmeric for like, you know— <laughs> For, you know, an Ayurvedic medicine forever, you can't do this. And they and the patent was pulled and, 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 and all was right with the world. And so it seemed like this great fight against these evil corporations trying to get to... Okay, but if PepsiCo owned turmeric, oh my God, we would have to... You know, we would have it every... If, it would if, be in everything. It would, it, be would in, be, it would be in Pepsi. It would be. And so, <laughs> I mean, so on one hand... It's like, great, now it can remain pennies a dose and make nobody any money, so therefore we're not going to have any research for it. We're not going to have any promotional budget to get it. No one's ever going to hear about it, right? And so there's this interesting, like, yeah, wow. It's not maybe, as easy as right. you think. I mean, if, right, if you know, Monsanto really did own broccoli, which they're trying to patent a strain of broccoli, then our kids would be eating a lot more broccoli. Yeah, that's, uh, I never thought of it from that perspective. It's tricky, right? It's tricky. What, what do you think about uh, the food plate and the food pyramid and what's going on there and how that's sort of evolved over time? Yeah, well, I think it's uh, – I like, the obviously, the food plate's much better. It gives people a better way to kind of visualize. Um, the, you know, the food pyramid came out, was mm -hmm. gutted, pulled back uh, by, you know, meat industry pressures. Um, but the food plate's nice. So food plate's, right, basically half fruits and vegetables, um, a quarter – "Quote unquote protein, which includes legumes, and so actually legumes, you know, beans, split peas, chickpeas, and lentils, actually are the only food that actually goes over both. It's considered both a protein and a vegetable. Mm. It's kind of a two for one, um, and and then you know whole grains. So it's like this great." You know, I mean, it's that's moving a, in the right direction. That is absolutely <clears throat> moving in the right direction. What happened with that lawsuit that PCRM filed? Over that, over, over, over that was like, hey, that, that looks awful familiar. We put out that power plate uh, years ago. Or, yeah, I can't remember exactly what it was. I'm trying to remember, but I think it had something to do with sort of uh, the public being 
being misled in terms of you know the recommendations. And well, there were certainly conflicts sort of true that, to the science yeah. and the conflicts. Well, I mean, yeah, the, I mean, the, the I mean, the probably the the greatest lawsuit they've ever won was divulging the conflicts of interest of who was on the board, right? So these are the dietary guidelines for Americas. For Americans, um, you know, the USDA and the DHHS come together to put them together every five years since 1980. And, you know, they it's not just recommendations. This is what, you know, a federal school lunch program is what feed people it's in prison. every like, school, this is a every very, public institution. This is a, I'm right. This is a, it's very important what these – and so, of course, huge amount of um, pressure from lobbyists and money pours in. And so, but yet they were not even divulging where, who was paying these signs. And so we find, and so thanks to a Physician Committee for Responsible Medicine, they came in and she divulged who these people were on the committee who were making up these guidelines. Uh-huh. And it's just absolutely amazing. So they were paid for the likes of everything from, you know, they were on, you know, uh, uh, Coca-Cola's beverage you know, health institute and right. the McDonald's, you know, living, whatever. And then the sugar institute and the, the sugar association, the salt institute. My favorite was uh, Joanna Dwyer, who's this uh, scientist up at uh, Tufts, who used to be the Duncan Hines brand girl before she was like the Crisco brand girl. Like, you know, <laughs> I mean, these are, and then she went on to write the, you know, dietary guidelines for all Americans. Um, and so, like candy bar, Mars bar, you know, candy bar companies, and we wonder how, how screwed up these guidelines are. Um, and so, uh, now that has changed. So it's getting much better. So, uh, this uh, current committee has less financial ties than any other. Um, so, we're pushing things in the right direction. And then, and that's all good for people that you know want a healthy populace because that's where the evidence lies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Do you know uh, Andy Bellotti? Oh. He's a nutritionist. Oh. Oh, he's great. you got to meet this guy. But him and a few others, uh, he's a nutritionist, dietitian, but he'll go to these conferences and he'll tweet photos of, you know, these banners that are oh. hanging from these big oh, food right. brands. Oh, right. That's crazy, like, right. You know, Coca-Cola, McDonald's, right, like the McDonald's Simon Institute. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. He's a big Michelle Simon person. Awesome, yeah, awesome. So you see, it's so glaring and in your face that you can't can't even believe it's real. It's like a scene out of Idiocracy. Uh-huh, you're like, uh-huh. are you kidding? And everyone's just sort of going along with it. Right, right, right. It's interesting. So Coca-Cola just pulled sponsorship from the American Academy of mm-hmm. Dietetics. Nutrition. But it's, and it's interesting, though, the ADA, the former ADA, you know, now the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, you know, they didn't stop their sponsorship. Coca-Cola pulled back from them. Um, thanks to pressure from big New York Times piece showing how much money they were pouring into everyone's coffers. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, these are all good signs. I mean, the less money we have influencing, the more transparency there is, um, the more will the real science will come out. Right. So you're optimistic. I am totally optimistic. You are? That's Everything's good to hear, going, Oh, absolutely. The more research is getting done, the research is getting out there. It's having an Im- impact. I mean, you go back... You know, uh, you know, uh, in my kind of latest annual review, I talk about, you know, what was like, I, I kind of parallel the situation now with being a smoker in the 50s. So if you're a smoker in the 50s, you have the American Medical Association saying smoking on balance is good for you. That's the AMA saying that, right? And That's of course, so they got, you know, and they refused to endorse the Surgeon General's report when it came out in the 60s after they had gotten the $10 million check from the tobacco industry. I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's CD. But, okay, so you go back in time. But okay, so you can see why the AMA was in bed with the tobacco industry. But why weren't individual doctors speaking out? The majority of physicians smoked. In fact, the average per capita cigarette consumption of Americans was a two thousand. So it, was, it was, comes out to a half pack a day mm-hmm. for every 
um, every adult in the country. So the average American <laughs> smoked a half pack a day. Right. Okay. So it was in the media, right? It was in the movies. It was, you know, ads on TV, doctor, the government. Everyone was telling you. So on one side, right? And on the other side, all you had was the science. If you knew what was going on, and none of that science broke through. So you had these studies done by these remarkable folks, you know, titans in the research field in the 30s, 40s, 50s. None of it made out in the mainstream because... Your, you know, your doctor was going to tell you to quit smoking between puffs. I mean, that's. Mm, right. I mean, but it was, it was normal. It was what all. It was just what you did. You know, medical meetings were one big haze of smoke. Right. Uh, you know, they're debating lung cancer in these congressional committees and through this fog of smoke. <laughs> um, and right so when it's man. normal, right? You know, you you can't wait for society to catch up to the science. Because by the time it does, you could be dead by then or have cancer. Like, we, I mean, this is a matter of life and death. And so I see this kind of real parallel between then and now. It's like, okay, the science is clear. The science has been clear. But that's not what everybody does. I mean, what your doctor, your doctor, most of the, smoke, most of the doctors smoke back then. Most of the doctors today continue to eat foods that contribute to our epidemic of dietary diseases. Mm -hmm. So you have this kind of inherent bias, this cognitive dissonance of them telling people to eat healthier than they're mm -hmm. already eating or to get exercise if they're sitting on them but themselves. And so, you know, I mean, I think, I think that's a good parallel where you have this, where you can have simultaneously this tremendous body of unassailable evidence, yet... That's not what the government, the medical community, and society is saying. In fact, by the time the Surgeon General's report came out in 1964, 7,000 studies, there were 7,000, it took 7,000 studies linking smoking with lung cancer before the Surgeon General came out. I mean, you think after the first 6,000, they could have given a little heads up or something, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, but that just shows, and so I don't know what thousand we're at, right? But, I mean, how much... But right? I think with our demand for transparency, that has to be accelerated. Absolutely. Right? But at the right. same time, you're also, you're also asking... You're, first of all, you're asking people to embark on behavioral change, which right. is not fun or comfortable and not something people want to hear about. Um, but on top of that, you're also uh, asking the medical community to have this paradigm shift away from... Uh, diagnose and prescribe because it's we're just prescription nutty right now and put on the preventive medicine hat right and our system the current medical sort of doctor setup it isn't really designed to function that way economically it, and that's the word it's really economically there's really no route for doctors to get reimbursed there's some kind of creative ways doctors are doing it now with group visits and things for diabetics and medicare and, uh, you know, the Ornish program, the Pritikin program have both been accepted by Medicare. So there's a few ways you can get in. But in general, there's no reimbursement mechanism for a doctor telling people to – keeping people healthy, mm -hmm. healthy and talking to them about things they can do to prevent illness. Um, because doctors are reimbursed by procedure, like pills and procedures. That's what they get money for. That's what sends their kids through college, not how healthy their patients were. If we actually had metrics, and there are some in, uh, in the Affordable Care Act, if we had metrics that actually rewarded doctors for actually keeping people healthy, then we could see the system change. Right. That's crazy talk. That's just crazy you know, talk. I think, I think the, the, the approach should really be through um, corporate wellness programs because you're dealing with these big corporations who are just getting bled 
because of their insurance premiums, their healthcare insurance premiums, and they're ready and willing to listen if it's going to positively impact their bottom line. So to implement really, you know, really in a real way, wellness programs that aren't just, hey, we're going to run a 5K, but like really tending to the food that their employees are eating and having, you know, sort of accountability programs and, and, and really, um, you know, infusing a culture that promotes wellness, which will, of course, positively impact, you know, their insurance premiums and their, their ultimate profitability, but also, you know, provide people with the tools to be able to be healthy, and that will trickle down from there. You know, that's the, that's the grand irony, is that, you know, the food industry has this kind of historical anti-corporate bias, right? It's big, it's big tobacco, it's big food, coming in as these evil corporations like PepsiCo and Kentucky Fried Chicken. Um, and so, like, corporations are the enemy, when ironically, they may be our salvation. They're the ones that are, you know, if they're self-insuring their populations, they are the ones to stand to gain the most by reducing healthcare costs. I mean, you prevent a few cases of diabetes. You've saved enormous amounts of money, not to mention increases in productivity and well-being. You know, the, you know, PCRM did these great series of studies at 10 Geico sites recently published. It right, showed right, a right. tremendous, you know, improvement in fatigue, mental health. You yeah, know, if I was CEO bigger, of a Fortune 500 company and came across that, I'd, I'd say sign me up. When Absolutely. are we, let's do this right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. let's you know? change the cafeteria. Yeah, right. I think it's, it, you know, but it's, it's really the politics that swirl around these big corporations. You know, just take, take school lunch. You know, why is that? such an incredible clusterfuck to unravel and repair. It's very, very difficult just to get healthy food options for kids because there's so much money being made and there's so much politics going into, you know, these providers that are gaining, you know, that are basically profiting from the food that's being provided. These They're huge contracts, right? Right, right. So, right, right. Yeah, they're unloading these cheap commodities. I mean, the problem is, is that healthy food doesn't have a doesn't have, you can't mark up healthy food. I mean, I mean, the 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 profit margin is so razor thin for you know broccoli, sweet potatoes, that kind of thing. You just can't charge a premium because there's no like mm -hmm. you know Smith brand. You're not going to pay more because you have some kind of branded broccoli. Whereas these processed food companies can take the dirt cheapest of ingredients like you know sugar. Um, and spin it and color it and flavor it to all sorts of, and they're, and, you know, so like the can of Coke is one of the greatest profit margins. So like a can of Coke um, and, and basically tobacco are the two kind of most profitable in terms of how much money they make given the raw materials that go into it. And so there's this, you know, it's not that Coke sits around and says, how can we make the children of America obese, <laughs> yeah. right? They're like, how can we make money? Right. And it just turns out the sweet potatoes don't make you as much money. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, so it's not like but but there's subsidies involved in that. Right. And course. so why is sugar so cheap? Because we subsidize it. Right. I mean, so why is corn and soy so cheap? Because we feed it to the animals um, and subsidize the meat industry that way. And so. Right. So if we subsidized good food, fruits and vegetables, things. Are, and so in Europe, they're actually starting. This. So, for example, um, a number of Scandinavian countries have done this uh, free fruit programs. So every day, mm -hmm. every kid gets free fruit. Mm. And they found, and oh, oh, so I have this video coming out about this, these programs. Absolutely amazing. And they kind of made the calculations that to make it, oh, make it cost effective, um, it was just some absolutely wild calculation 
that you you save so much on healthcare costs doing that one simple thing, giving people fruit that um, you know it pays for itself over and right, over it just and over again. Becomes a no-brainer, right? Just right. If but you know the the watermelon promotion board, their budget <laughs> it pales <laughs> in comparison. I know. So how do we deal with this problem, uh, or at least this mentality or idea that eating plant-based is is for the elite, right? Like, how can we trickle down um, this this protocol to make it more accessible for the underprivileged? Who look, you know, they're 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 feeding their families off subsidized foods, the cheapest, most mm. nutritionally poor foods available, but they don't have you know, sort of the, the, the luxury of being able to go to Whole Foods? Well, some of the healthiest foods, I mean, you think about the grocery bill. I mean, some of the most expensive foods are some of the least healthy foods, particularly by nutrient, right? And so if you want calories per dollar, okay, fine, junk food wins out, right? Mm -hmm. But, and, you know, that's how we used to measure food value 200 years ago when you're a New England bricklayer burning 14,000 calories a day you just needed calories. And so a pound of sugar, which was five cents, cost as much as a pound of beans, which has cost five cents. And so USDA said sugar is healthier because it has more calories per that five cents. And you have to keep your bricklayers bricklaying. But they can be excused because vitamins hadn't been like discovered yet. I mean, we had no idea. There was just this kind of energy value of food. But now that's changed. Now we know, oh, there's actually nutrients in food that do things for you. And so on a dollar per nutrient basis, then good foods win out across the board. And so, you know, some of the healthy foods like, you know, beans, you know, beans and rice, that kind of thing. Um, the amount of nutrition you get for per dollar is huge. Purple cabbage, right? You can get purple for 50 cents a pound. You can get a cabbage uh, last practically forever. You slice off shreds, put mm -hmm. in any meal that you're mm -hmm. eating, right? Tremendous. One of the most antioxidant-packed food per dollar anywhere in the world. You can buy it so cheap, right? Mm -hmm. Apples are cheap. I mean, these are, you know, I mean, you know, uh, compare a pound of breakfast cereal to a pound of apples at any store, right? And you'll be amazed in terms of how much food you actually get. Um, uh, you know, and you can buy you know most of these foods anywhere. Right. Without so how do we how do we get that message out better than we have been? Yeah. I guess well, it, it becomes about education. Yeah. So I've done a bunch of videos about it, with all sorts of cool graphs that you know come from the USDA that actually go through and chart prices of all the commodities and 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 really kind of neat, colorful, pretty graphs that show um, exactly you know how much more nutrition you can get per dollar, mm -hmm. and uh, you know whether you're. So anyway, Got it. so yeah, the answer basically nutritionfacts.org is the uh, yeah it is uh, what yeah. what <laughs> what is your most popular video? Um, Do you know, you know, so I, I periodically you know like every year, and so it's coming up to be that time. Uh, my kind of New Year's, what are the top ten videos of the year? Right, and I actually go back, go to the Google Analytics, and see oh what was the, and I'm often surprised. You know, a lot of them is because it's organic search results. It's like common questions. Mm -hmm. So what are the, so there's like, um, uh, so is coconut oil healthy or something like that? I mean, that will, 
I mean, that'll be because people just Google it and then it comes up. And so the, so right. people go to the, discover I, the site based I wrote on that a, kind of thing. I, wrote, I, don't, I don't write blog posts that often on my site, but I did write a blog post after you posted your, your coconut oil video and I embedded it in my blog post. It was called like, you know, health food or pana, you know, health panacea or, you know, what, I can't remember what I titled it. And when I look at my Google Analytics, it's, I think it's the by far and away like the most <laughs> red thing that I've ever put on my Isn't website. Crazy? I know. People are obsessed <laughs> with coconut oil. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny. Yeah. Um, so that so basically, yeah, because it's not oh, it's it's really people organically searching on Google. They're not necessarily already on nutrition facts, like you know, going right. through right, the, right. The, and so the most impactful, the most important videos, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if it doesn't have a title that works well in a search engine. You know, no one may ever see it, right. you know, and, and I learned that only, you know, relatively recently. And so, like, one of the most powerful videos is this whole IGF-1 story and cancer. And the name of that video is Ex Vivo Cancer Bioassay or something like that. And it's this really cool way you can, you know, take, you, you can drip blood from people on different diets onto cancer cells and see what it does and how good your blood is at suppressing and killing cancer compared to someone else's blood or your blood two weeks later after eating a plant based diet i mean all these really cool so it's just a fascinating but with that kind of title (laughs) i mean nobody will ever see it you got to embed like keywords in there like kim kardashian and see how that influences your viewers right right no it's so true so yeah so i've learned to make things much more kind of you know Mm -hmm. like you'll never believe what (laughs) what happened next was amazing right right Right. Treating high blood pressure with diet or something. So right. my title is actually kind of, kind of very bland and boring. And like uh-huh. I wanted to be all twisty and, and, and quirky and punny. But no. You need really an intern just to just study the headlines on BuzzFeed. Oh, uh, right. right. See what works. <laughs> All That's right. so funny. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the book. I mean, what what are what is your aspiration for this book? Yeah. Well, I mean, this I mean, I think it's going to do just a tremendous amount of good in the world, just kind of as it is. I mean, originally, it was really just a vehicle to kind of send traffic to the site, because I feel that's like my primary body of work. That's mm-hmm. where all the science is. That's where they can see it. So it's just a way to kind of inform people about it and send people that way. But then it turned into kind of a this really project on its own, kind of self, you know, uh, contained and offering its own kind of value. Uh, in fact, a lot of stuff that isn't on the site, right? Because it's more like, well, this is my opinion based on my kind of professional opinion, even though I can't really back it up. This is based kind of, you know, this is my intuition based on what I, what the science we do know, which I would never want to put on the site, but you know, it's like dosing, right? How much dose? So we have 20 studies. Some use this massive dose. Some use this tiny dose. Okay. Well, what do you eat? If you think turmeric is good for you, how much do you actually eat every day? So I came up with a quarter teaspoon a day. So that's my recommendation. Everyone mm-hmm. should eat a quarter teaspoon of turmeric a day. Okay, where do you get that? There's no study that actually compared a quarter to an eighth to a sixteenth to a right. And so, but there's, you know, you go through, there's studies that have side effects at too high a dose. They have studies that show no effect at too low a dose. And then you look at populations, how much turmeric they've been eating for a long time with a good safety record. So you put all this stuff together and say, okay, that's kind of my best guess. It's not, it would never go on the site on the mm-hmm. website mm-hmm. because that's like, if I can't have a paper and a quote showing you quarter teaspoon, according to the Institute yeah, of Medicine, it's not, it it's not gonna, it's not making it in the video, but people want to know. I mean, people have a legitimate, you know, interest. And so I can be like, all right, well, this is my best guess that, you know, and, 
And so that's what the book could be for me, is to be like, right. all right, what do I eat? How do I translate this body of information into actual, like, you know, day-to-day, you know, what do I eat for breakfast kind of stuff? Um, and uh, so it'll help. So I've been thinking a lot of that kind of practical aspect that I think people really, uh, really enjoy. And then you'll just get kind of greater exposure for the movement mm-hmm. um, and for the work we've all been, you know, kind of hard at doing. I think it's good timing. Um, and uh, I hope it'll just, you know, knock it out of the park. Well, I think that it's a really important book. You know, I, I feel like it has the potential to really reach a wide audience because in many ways it really is the definitive manual on what's healthy, how you can prevent disease. And it's so detailed. It's really bulletproof. I mean, your research is impeccable. I mean, this is like, this is a serious work. Yeah. You know what I mean? It really, really is. And you should be really proud. And I, I just think like it's something that I could give somebody and say, this will answer all your questions. Huh, and right. you, don't, you don't have to read it from cover to cover, but you can pick a section, you can look into it, you know, take that as it will and go off and do your own research or whatever you need to do. But um, I really feel like, uh, you know, you, I mean, it's clear that you put everything that you have into it. Yeah. You really did. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I'm sure that's why it took so long to right, get it right. to this point. Oh, I mean, I don't know how many much. hours you must have put into this book, but... You know, it's it's an extraordinary work, yeah. man, and I'm excited oh, for thank you. you man. What was it like working with Gene Stone? Yeah, yeah. Well, it was. You know, he's a writer, not a scientist, mm-hmm. and I think that was that was kind of some of the initial friction is trying to figure out our, our various roles. So I brought him on, him on board, thinking that he would save this huge amount of time. Like, here, here's my scripts from all the kind of you know, uh, you know, and and that's what you do. You're a writer. You have all these bestsellers behind you, um, and he take it and. And I come back and be like, well, wait a second. That, that, you can't say that. That's not true. He said, but it sounds so good. Yeah, I know it sounds great. No, it <laughs> it really sounds great. And it's much clearer and much more. But it, but it's not like that doesn't represent what actually happens in reality, right? And, and I mean, that's not his – I mean, science isn't his background. I mean, you can't, right. can't expect it to be. Um, and so it was just finding a way to, you know, have his strengths be his strengths – and my strength. So I actually uh, felt I – so I actually had to be much more involved than I originally thought I was going to be. But that turned out great. I mean, so it really mm-hmm. turned out – I'm glad that I got much more because I started to love the project more and more and really started kind of pouring my soul into it, um, uh, particularly towards the end. And so he's able to you know, really kind of work the narrative because you know, all my videos are very disjointed. And so he's able to kind of weave them together. And so it turned out in the end to be kind of a good marriage. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I, I take so much for granted that like, well, everybody knows that, uh, the, you know, <laughs> the central dogma of biology with RNA and DNA, you know, and that, but it's no, so you need easy that, to get You need wrong, that person who whatever. doesn't know that, who says, I don't get it. You know, right. you need to like walk explain, me through, yeah, walk it. Me through it and, right. and let's create something that is going to be accessible. Yeah, yeah. For, yeah, yeah. So I'm, know, I, I, so I'm really hoping that his contribution will open it up to a wider because even my website is at a pretty high level like mm-hmm. it really it requires some kind of substantial background kind of knowledge but what i appreciate is that you don't pander to the audience you're mm. saying no i trust that you're smart enough like rise to my level watch mm. this i believe that you can understand what i'm trying to convey to you and you know because it's it's mature in that regard even if they can't get it all like i always i try to have everything like something for every level within the same video it's it's like if you're really, really high level, like if you're the researcher who's 
liter- who, whose paper I'm literally covering in that video, I want you to be like, oh, yeah, I see how you made those interesting connections with these researchers that I didn't even know about, like that high, all the way down to, I didn't know, all those long words used, I had no idea what he was talking about, but I kind of get the gist that the, that the animal protein and acid in the kidney, bad kidney function is not good for my kidneys. Like, that's mm-hmm. all, you know. Right, right, right. Like, that's all I need to kind of take like away Like a really from good Bugs Bunny cartoon. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's why they were so awesome. Uh, right, right. You could be yeah. an adult or there you could go. be, right. you know, and, a toddler right. and, and you can both enjoy it. And you could get the, right, you can get the subtleties that are totally lost, wasted on those kids. Uh-huh. But, right, right, Or the right. Shakespearean reference. Right, right. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. All right, yeah. so, so, you know, what is, if somebody's listening to this, they're flirting with the idea of a plant-based diet, um, you know, they're interested in what you have to say, you know, what are, what are some kind of just fundamental takeaways that you could impart to kind of kickstart somebody into embracing this way of living? Um, well, you know, so it's, I think it depends on if someone's coming from kind of a disease reversal standpoint mm-hmm. or someone who's, you know, feel looks healthy and just wants to kind of maintain that health. Well, let's bifurcate it. Um, so, um, so for somebody that's ill, right, somebody with chronic disease, diabetes, hypertension, these are the kind of people I want to go all in, right? Because I want to see, you know, when, uh, uh, you know, you say, well, you know, what about moderation? Well, like, how moderate do you want your heart disease? Right? Well, what is moderation you- anyway? Uh, it's a sliding scale and right, the most uh, subjective thing ever. Uh, moderate, you can have, you know, you can end up with, as a diabetic, moderate blindness and moderate kidney failure, moderate amputations, maybe just a couple toes or something, you know? I mean, that's... But that's, you know, moderation in all things is not necessarily a good thing. Um, and so for those people, and they have to, of course, work with their doctor because uh, they have to drop their blood pressure medications, drop their diabetes medications very rapidly. Within two weeks, they may be off all, you know, uh, insulin and uh, diabetes medications. Otherwise, their pressures and sugars would drop way too low on this kind of healthy diet because you're actually treating the cause. For those people, I really want to see them really kind of go all in because then they can really see these dramatic effects for their own bodies, and that'll be the motivation for them to continue that lifestyle for the rest of their life. And I think for a younger, a younger healthier crowd, this kind of kind of prevent the ravages, then they can be a little more experimental. They go to whatever speed they want because they may not necessarily, I mean, their body isn't necessarily at that kind of breaking point where they necessarily, you know, feel the difference whether you're actually, you know, eating mm-hmm. some uh, dark green leafy vegetables or not. But for someone with heart failure, I mean, you know, whether or not you had spinach and got that extra nitrate load to actually facilitate, um, uh, you know, uh, blood flow and oxygen, you know, kind of uh, efficiency. I mean, you can actually feel the difference from these foods. And, you know, a young person eats some arugula and cut a few seconds off their 5K time, but, you know, they're not necessarily going to feel any different. Um, and for them, you know, to take at whatever speed. You know, one resource I really like is PCRM's 21-day Kickstart program. Right. It starts every month. Hundreds of thousands of people have gone through it, multiple languages. It's totally free. A nice community of people to go through it together and share tips and cooking and recipes. And um, it's, it's been a really great program. Certainly for any practitioners out there, people who have plant-based practices who are trying to work within the model. It's easy to give somebody a website, get somebody started, no matter how short your office visits are, and get people on the right track. Right. I'll, pu- I'll put a link up in the show notes to great. that 21-day Kickstarter program. Yeah, because yeah, it is great. Yeah. And uh, if, there's, if there's one habit or one sort of dietary, you know, sort of um, 
preference that you would say is the number one thing that you got to let go of? Oh, let go be? of. Well, so ad would be dark green leafy. I mean, we just mm-hmm. need, to eat, need to eat greens all day, every day. I mean, just nothing better than greens. Okay, so greens on everything, under everything, better greens for right. everything. Okay. Um, and cutting out, I mean, the worst food is... Uh, is uh, trans fats are pretty much gone at this point, but so hydrogenated vegetable oil like Crisco, probably the worst thing, but you can't even, I don't think you can find trans fat right, Crisco right, anymore. Right. Um, and then uh, processed meat would be the mm-hmm. highest, right? So all those, so ham, bacon, hot dogs, uh, chicken McDuggets, lunch <clears> meats, <throat> deli slices, that kind of thing. I mean, there's just no room for those in a healthy right. diet. And, and here's the thing with your book. It's 600 pages long. You have, you know, voluminous chapters on all of these, you know, 15 leading causes of death and how to avoid them. Uh, You've got 150 pages of footnotes. Uh, The final chapter, I think it's the final chapter, is supplements. And I think it's three pages. (laughs) (laughs) The whole book! You know what I mean? Which I found, I just, I laughed when I saw that. I go, that's perfect. Well, when you have That's a healthy so diet, Michael right? Gregor, when yeah, you're yeah, getting yeah. mountains of nutrition, sheesh, what do you need? Right. So, because that's the thing I always say, what are the supplement? You know, the, that right. the solution resides in these supplements, right? right? And and by kind of you know, just putting three pages in, you could say <laughs> that you've checked the box and addressed it, but right, you're right. also saying, listen, that's not where your focus exactly. needs to be, right? Absolutely. So, vitamin B12, uh, an algae-based uh, DHA, right? Correct. And perhaps vitamin D for certain people. Yeah. And was there another one? Or that's pretty much it, I, right? I, iodine for pregnant women. I, uh-huh. Right. Simple. Nothing else. Yeah. And, you know, and those are all the consequences of just how we live. We're no longer running around naked in Equatoria, Africa all day and getting baked in the sun. We're not, uh, you know, hopefully we're getting less feces in our drinking water, you know, which is, you know, not getting a lot of B12 anymore, not getting a lot of cholera either. It's just good. I'll, I'll take that deal any day. Right. Um, and so it's just, you know, this, this way. In terms of iodine, you don't know what, uh, you know, there's iodine depleted soils. You don't know where your vegetables are coming from, and it has such serious consequences during pregnancy. Other than that, we're good. We're good. Final question. You were on Colbert Report? Ha! <laughs> Yes! Oh my God! I came as across I, that on the internet. I was like, "How did I miss that?" <laughs> right? Is that I, on the internet? I gotta find. No, that. it totally is. Uh, and it's right. What was I? What was? The, what was the? Uh, not Groundhog. What was? What the? What was I talking about? I don't know. I didn't yeah. see it. Oh, I just saw that. It? No, I oh, just came hilarious. across something that said that you had been oh, on yeah, yeah. the no, Colbert no, no. Report, and no, I was like, it's "So funny!" What? No, no. I was on as a. Uh, what are the, they're like little porcupine creatures. What are those little uh, spiny armadillo? No, it wasn't armadillo. Okay, not not a spiny. Porcupine. Right, right. No, no. Uh, sea that's urchin. So funny. Here I am, I, and I was like the expert. About? No, I was like the expert in this. No, so they wanted somebody on zoonotic diseases, these animal to human diseases. Mm-hmm. You know, I wrote the book on bird flu right, and all right. these things. And so they're doing this segment. Was it plague? Yeah, something like that. I don't know whether they're eating these creatures or something. But uh, they're like, we need an expert on this. And so they brought me up. And it was hilarious. And, yeah, it's really fun. And, of course, they took, like, hours of footage. And, uh-huh. you know, it comes down to, like, three minutes or whatever. Right, right, right. But, um, but yeah, and there's actually some hours of embarrassing footage and stuff. They wanted me to do all sorts of crazy stuff, like like <laughs> drinking out of beakers and steaming <laughs> test tubes and stuff. I'm like, I can see you being game for that. And though. so I was I was totally doing all this stuff. But then afterwards, I'm like, 
Oh my God, there goes my career. <laughs> like I'm thinking, how, they could make me look so crazy. Uh-huh. And of course, but I just sign the release, sign anything yeah. we want. But it turns out it, it came up with really kind of fun, yeah, and played me very kind of serious. And uh-huh. uh, and so I talked about how you shouldn't eat this weird little mammalian pet or something like that. Because otherwise you would. <laughs> right? you know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, so, so All right, well, now I got to find that. Yeah, no, no. It's on there somewhere. Yeah, that's funny. You find it, put a link on it. That's cool. hilarious. Yeah, I will, for sure. <laughs> All right, man. I think we did it. Oh, sweet. Thanks Anything so much. Anything else you want to say? No, this is great. I'm so psyched. You feel for good? To read the book and, uh, and yeah, check out my work. And, of course. Uh, cool. The book is called How Not to Die, not. How to not die. Right. Although, with all these technologies these days, you extend your life long enough, and we figure out how to extend life further. We just have to extend human life one year every year, right? Right. Well, that'll be the next book. And so, right. How to not die ever. How to not die ever. That's (laughs) the sequel. Excellent, man. Right. Really, add a couple decades. Maybe we'll reach a point where we can upload ourselves or something. Right. AI, man. To the mainframe. (laughs) So uh, the website is nutritionfacts.org. It's really just, I talk about it on the podcast all the time. It really is your one-stop shop to learn everything you ever wanted to know about nutrition. How many videos do you have up now? Over a thousand. A thousand, right? And you have this index. I mean, it's by, you can search any nutrient, any disease, basically anything. I can almost guarantee that, uh, that you've got a video up on that. It really is extraordinary work that you're doing. And above and beyond all of that, <clears throat> what's really amazing and interesting is that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but all the proceeds from the new book are being given to the 501c3. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't get a penny. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, no, I, I wouldn't sign a contract unless it all went there. That's yeah, no, it's great. It's just it's kind of like the, like the Wikipedia model of, you know, like it just goes because one in a thousand people kicks in a few bucks and there's just so many millions of people on the site that it just pays for itself. And mm-hmm. we have all this big staff and, and the whole thing goes just because, uh, you know, everything's free, no ads, anything. But, uh, you know, people just value the content and able to keep the whole thing going. So it's this like labor of love that I'd be doing anyway. But the fact that I can do it completely without taking a penny and that's just uh, I, I like keeping that kind of, you know, the the decommercialism, taking commercialism out of uh, nutritional science, which is you know, a critical piece. You're a beautiful man. Oh, thanks for everything you do, man. I oh, really appreciate too, it. Book comes out December eight. You know yeah, it, and you're going to be everywhere, everywhere at the same time. A little too everywhere. Yeah. yeah, very cool, man. I'm really excited for you. I'm proud of you, and uh, I'm really. Um, I'm I'm so impressed by the work that you do and by this book, and uh, I think it's it's uh, it's gonna really help a lot of people. So thanks. I'll keep up the work as long as I can. Right on, man. Peace. Peace. Plants. <laughs>
If you want access to the entire RRP catalog beyond the most recent 50 episodes on iTunes, well, I've got an app for that, and it's free. Just search Rich Roll in the App Store. It'll pop up, or you can uh, click that banner on my website. For all your plant-powered and RRP swag and merch, visit richroll.com. You can get signed copies of our cookbook, The Plant Power Way, also my memoir, Finding Ultra. We've got Julie's Guided Meditation Program. We've got nutrition products. We've got all kinds of cool T-shirts and plant power tech tees. We've got sticker packs, temporary tattoos. We have beautiful limited edition art prints, which make for a great gift, both framed and unframed. Anyway, all kinds of awesome to take your health and your life to the next level. Uh, keep sending in your questions for future Q&A podcasts to info at richroll.com. We're going to be doing another episode of that midweek this week to celebrate three years of doing this podcast and episode 200, if you can believe that. I cannot believe it. It's amazing. And I want to thank you guys. Uh, if you want more than that, I'm already giving you so much stuff, but you want more? Okay. I got two courses, uh, online courses at mindbodygreen.com. The Art of Living with Purpose, which is all about goal setting, and The Ultimate Guide to Plant-Based Nutrition, which is all about getting more plant-powered. As we're heading into the holiday season and you're starting to think about your New Year's resolutions, well, both of these courses kind of fit the bill in terms of cleaning up your diet and also uh, setting goals, doing the interior work to make sure that you're moving forward on a proper life trajectory for yourself. Uh, Really proud of the courses, both multiple hours of streaming video content, very affordably priced, and you can learn more at mindbodygreen.com. Just click on video courses there, and I'll tell you all about it. Uh, thank you so much for supporting the show, for telling your friends, you guys, for sharing it on social media. All of that means so much to me. I can't believe that I have uh, all you guys as my audience. You've been amazing, and I greatly, greatly appreciate all of you. I'll see you guys back here in a couple days with our Ask Me Anything episode, and until then... Uh, try to enjoy yourselves. Try to be good to yourselves and be good to other people. Peace. Plants. Yeah.